This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. I'm part of this mastermind group with Terry Cole, who was on the, the podcast episode. She's guiding it. And we had a group call with Kate Northrup, who is, talks a lot about our relationship with money and time. These are both things that I've been working on a lot. And at the end of the call, I asked the question, how do we know, you know, when we're manifesting something, how big we can go? Like, what is realistic when we're manifesting? You know, if I say I want to earn a million dollars and I want to serve a million people and I write down these these larger numbers, what's the difference between manifesting these big goals and writing them down and putting them into the universe versus creating what we more frequently refer to as smart goals. So specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely goals. Oftentimes when I start doing my goal setting at the beginning of the year, I'll write down these goals and feel conflicted as to, you know, am I writing something down here that is smart and realistic and achievable? Or am I writing down those bigger goals as to what I am manifesting? What is the balance between these two things? Or how do we put these two things into practice in a way that really welcomes this stuff into the world? And so before hitting record here, I was just looking at, you know, what I have written down for my 2023 intentions. And I have my vision board sitting beside me here on the floor, something that I see every day. And I realized that with my first vision board that I made when I was 25, it took almost a decade for that vision board to come to fruition. And along the way, I set goals that were uh, a little bit more specific and achievable. I mean, sometimes my annual goal said something like make a million dollars. But when I actually think about how it all came together, it took a longer period of time for the manifestation of this vision board to come to life. And along the way, there were these steps, these smaller, more realistic objectives or, or uh, leaps that had to occur. And as I thought about this, I wonder with manifestation, if it's almost more powerful to not set a date or a timeline to it, to allow the universe or energy or whatever we want to call it, to allow it to flow to us when the timing is meant to occur. So maybe it happens faster than what we were imagining, or maybe it takes a decade or longer for it to come to fruition. 
And along the way, we can make little choices or set goals that are those smart goals, the ones that are achievable um, and timely and specific and measurable. We can set those goals in order to help move us towards what we are manifesting. So when we're setting goals quarterly or annually using that SMART goal formula and always moving in alignment with the vision that we are creating, and when manifesting, leaving things a little bit more wide open, uh, perhaps not putting a date on things at all. Just something I was thinking about as I'm sitting here finishing up my decaf latte. Oh, it's the saddest part of the day when the latte is almost done. Anywho, I don't know if that helps anybody, but just random thoughts from Erin on a random morning. I'm really pumped for this conversation today. To be honest, it went in a completely different direction than I was expecting it to go in, but I think as I'm coming to understand, the conversation always lands where it is meant to land. We did a Mother's Day event with Athleta, and one of the conversations that came up two or three times as we were talking was about the rage that we sometimes feel as women. You know, when somebody pushes our boundaries or somebody says something, it's like this inner rage that comes up. And the women that I were talking to were like, oh my God, it's so you know, it's so crazy and I don't know what's wrong with me when it comes up. So today's guest, Devin Loftus, is an author, a storyteller, and a business owner. She is the founder of Moon Cycle Bakery, which is a wellness-based business that focuses on the menstrual cycle and creates food-related products and resources to help support women hormonally, spiritually, and emotionally. Well, this is what I thought we were going to talk about in today's episode, but it turns out it was more of a conversation around anger and rage and emotions. Devin recently became a certified end-of-life doula and a positive psychology practitioner. Devin just completed her second book, which is called Dwell, and it's a journal for naming, processing, and embracing your emotions. And so the conversation naturally flowed into a discussion about our emotions, the good, the bad, the more challenging, an invitation to perhaps not label them as good or bad like I just did but to understand that all emotions serve us and that there is a place for all of them in our life. So if you've ever felt anger or rage or perhaps a difficult emotion that felt challenging to release or let go of, this conversation is for you. All right, everyone, I am thrilled to introduce you to today's guest. I had to cancel our previous recording because I was just having one of those weeks. I was having one of those anxious weeks and, you know, I like to practice what I preach. So I went into my calendar and I said, what are some things that we can move back? What what are some things we can push back? And it's so wild because you always feel so, I, I felt guilty and bad, like, oh my gosh, this person's set aside time and now I'm having to change it. But then I reminded myself on my side, when somebody has to cancel, I'm like, yes, an extra hour (laughs) to do what I need to do. You know, and at the end of the day, we really have to prioritize our 
own health and well-being, and that includes mental health. So today's guest knows a lot about mental health and mental well-being, hormonal well-being. I'm so excited to welcome Devin Loftus to the podcast. Uh, she is an author, a writer, the founder of a bakery that we're going to talk all about. She's written a cookbook, a book on emotions. Devin, I feel like we have so much to jam on. Yes, me too. I'm so excited to be here, Erin. Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about your story. Like, how did you get to this place that you're in right now? Oh, I love this question. Um, my story, I feel like most of us is anything but linear. Started this this Moon Cycle Bakery journey into my second book, which is Dwell. Really started about almost seven years ago at this point. I was working in the fashion industry, actually. And I just really noticed how spread thin everyone was. I noticed how the lack of support, uh, mainly the women I worked with had. And I knew in my gut that there was something I needed to do about it. I just didn't know how. And at that time, I was actually about to get married. And so my friends did a little dinner and bar crawl in Oakland, California, where I lived at the time to for like a little bachelorette party. And my husband, who's a chef, met us at one of the bars and he brought this really delicious cake. And it was like the first time all night that any of us had stopped talking because, you know, when you have good food, that's what it tends to do. And at one point, one of my friends came over to him and I, when we were sitting there and she was like, I, I don't know what it is about this cake, but I, it's so delicious. I almost cried. And I don't know if that's my period that's about to come or if it's just the deliciousness of the cake or both, but like, thank you. And later on that night we were laughing about it and I was like, yeah, I very much relate to that. And I was like, don't worry, we've got you covered. Like I'll bring you a slice of this every month. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And when I woke up the next morning, I was like, oh, I think there's something here. I mean, not even just in nutrition in the sense of how do we support ourselves with food both physically, but also emotionally, but also that idea that this is a place where we aren't acknowledged as menstruators. Like this is a place that we don't get the support we need. We don't get the acknowledgement we need. So how can I help bridge some of that or fill some of that gap? And that's how Moon Cycle Bakery was born. So from there, I started creating treats that uh, looked at the science behind our cycles and certain micronutrients that we lose throughout each phase, and then working with whole foods, accessible foods to help replenish some of those micronutrients. And then of course, that emotional element. So how are we working with ourselves to ebb and flow in and out of these phases? You know, and how can we support ourselves more in those areas? Uh, That led to the cookbook. And then kind of alongside of that, this, my second book, Dwell, was being written I would say that that book is very much a part of, it's a very deep part of who I am in the sense that like it's been there since childhood. So I've always been a very expressive, big feeling person. I've always struggled with regulating and really feeling safe to be that big feeling person. It's always a stigma that I've carried. That really developed as I got older. Um, I fell into a really deep depression in college. You know, I tried to commit suicide. I went through therapy and all of that part of finding myself and kind of what was my conditioning, what was I being told that I am versus who am I really? Uh, And then, yeah, I started to befriend my emotions and I started to talk to them instead of uh, judging them or shaming them. 
And that's kind of what led to dwell. Uh, and I think the connector between all of that, because I, I often think about that, is it's just that the stigmas, you know, what are these stigmas that society places on us, but also that we partake in and how can we free ourselves from those? Mm, I love this. And that was one of my biggest questions is when you look at your life and the things that you are creating, is there a common thread there? Is there, I mean, we know, of course, with in menstruation, there's different emotions and feelings that we feel. And sometimes they're bigger at certain times of the month. Uh, but I love this idea of it really coming back to the stigmas that mm-hmm. impact us and shape us and shape our beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. When we go back to your childhood and these big feelings that you had, what was the story that you were told? Like you, you said almost you felt shame around being this big feeling person. Where did that shame come from? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, that's um, what a profound question. So for me, the story was that I was an inconvenience, right? It was mainly from family, you know, extended family that I grew up with. Looking back, it was because there was just so much dysregulation there was so much that they so so many emotions that they hadn't processed and it was very much a environment of we don't have time to process these or even like indulge or acknowledge these emotions you need especially the hard ones like grief or sadness or um rage that's a huge one for me it was very much we don't even really talk about them. Like you just, we do not have time to feel these. You need to find a way to get over it and you need to move on. And that's really hard for anyone. I, I think especially as a child, um, because, you know, I have a three-year-old now and I'm always trying to find that line of, as a an adult, you have to, there are boundaries. That's what kids are looking to you for, but you also need to give them the space to, emote. I mean, that's how they learn. That's how they connect, right? That's how they feel safe. So I think for me, the fact that I couldn't, I had the story of you're too much. It's, it's too much. You need to find a place to go be yourself. that isn't here. I felt very much like uh, I don't fit in. I'm not really loved for who I am. And um, I need to find a way to, you know, to squash these instead of really learning how to live with them. Mm. I hosted an event this past weekend. It was called the Mama Reset, and we did it in partnership with Athleta. And so we had moms from the community come in, and we had a discussion about health and wellness for moms, which was really about breathing, maybe finding a little bit of mindfulness, (laughs) you know? Absolutely. A little bit different than what media portrays wellness as. And one of the things that kept coming up in the private conversations that I was having with women on the side before and after was rage. This feeling of rage that was bubbling up towards like absolutely loving and adoring the children's, but, but the reaction of rage coming up in moments or towards your partner when they're, you know, sitting on the couch and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And so we had this discussion around how as children, like I really have a hard time tapping into anger tapping into that emotion and feeling free to express that. And when you think about the messages that we receive as women, Mm. rage is not in the category of acceptable. 
It's not yeah. an emotion that many of us were like oh, taught, okay, let it out. Yeah. Feel angry. Yeah. But little boys, on the other hand, it's, it's not that we accept them, you know, breaking things apart, but if they punch something or they kick something or they need to wrestle or they need to yell, it's far more acceptable for them. Yep. And so, you know, I, I was thinking more about this and within motherhood as you're experiencing some of these emotions, perhaps that were suppressed for a lifetime for us as women, when we're exhausted, tired, vulnerable, hormones are shifting, like buttons are being poked, all of a sudden that rage comes up and it bubbles up and feels very out of control. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. So I love this conversation so much because for everything you just said, I think that, yep, rage is not as acceptable for women. It is one of the emotions I see that's not, that's like not acceptable in general. So it's so funny you say like when I hit, when you hit motherhood, these things trickle up. So for me, rage is probably the most complex emotion that I dance with because uh, in fact, in the book, I wrote it like three different ways. You know, when I personify the emotions in dwell, that emotion took on three different people for me because it, it's just so complex. It is so, there is so much that's tangled up in it. And when I became a mom, it got so much worse exactly for the reasons you were saying. I think, so I actually started going back to, well, I was already in therapy, but I started going to somatic therapy when this started coming up because I was like, this is in my body. There is something here that to your point, I can't control. And what I learned is that rage is, is really this really beautiful, wonderful emotion because what it is telling us is that our boundaries are being pushed, right? Like we're dysregulated. We are at capacity, especially as mothers. And we do not have space for more. But I think what gets really hard is that in this society, I love how you said like wellness paints this picture that like, I, I mean, the way I took it when you were like, sometimes it's just a breath. It is. But in, in our minds and the way that society perpetuates is this message of like, you have to be more, you have to do more, especially as a mom. So like, of course we're pissed off. We're like, <laughs> I can't. Yes. I, I physically and emotionally and mentally cannot. Mm. And where is like, where is the person or the, or the something that's going to be like, it's okay, enough is enough. So yeah, I, I definitely, in therapy, it was a big thing of um, learning what is healthy anger and how does that feel in my body? What are the signs? You know, my therapist says the sneeze. It's like the sign before the sign before the sign that I know I'm angry before I rage. And as my therapist put it, she's like, I love that rage because basically it's as a child, it's what kept you, you, it's what kept, it's the integrity. It's the part of you that's like, this isn't me. I'm too stretched or I need more and, and I need help. Hmm. And when I think of rage, it feels very, it's like when you're in labor, it's very primal. Primal. Absolutely. It's something deep within that you're no longer really in control of. You're not in control. No. Yep. No. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, Country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B A B B E L dot com slash Robbie Talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you a over. So what is healthy anger? And is, is rage healthy? So the way that my therapist puts it is, the way that I'm learning about rage is it's actually almost like, it's like you're not even in the emotion anymore. So the way that I could rage is I would rage and I would literally like forget. Like in that moment, I was full of so much anger and so much pain, really, that like I wouldn't, I would kind of come out of it and be like, I almost like blacked out, you know, everything went white. So you're not even in your body anymore. It's complete dysregulation. If you look at, you know, somatic therapy, there's like this window of tolerance and it's what your capacity is. And that is different for everyone based on their nervous system and their experiences, their trauma. It's also based on the day. What happened, you know, the night before or that morning or where you're at, um, are you on your cycle, right? Like it, that window of tolerance, that capacity ebbs and flows. And then there's a hyper arousal. That's rage, anxiety, those kind of feelings that feel like, you know, your body's really humming and it can't stop. And then there's the hypo arousal, which would be like a collapse. It's like defeat, shame, despair. You know, you kind of just are numbed or at the very least you're stuck. So it, you're, it, it's not even, it is an emotion, but it's actually like, it's a completely dysregulated emotion. You're not even out of your body. So the way that my therapist puts it is healthy anger is feeling anger with a witness. So you're witnessing it. You're slowing down. You're breathing. You're feeling the signs in your body that I am angry. You're able to stop and name it. And you're able to pause before you explode or like sneeze. And then rage would be, you know, anger without the witness. And the, the difference there, I think, is when you quote unquote sneeze, when you rage, those boogers would be destruction shame, right? Like when you rage, you have shame afterwards because you're like, that wasn't, 
that didn't, it wasn't conducive to anything I was trying to do. It just needed to be let out. It's primal to your respects. So it doesn't, it's one of those things where now I can rage and I actually don't feel shame because I'm like, because one, I'm learning what healthy anger is. So my rage is, is, is so, it happens so much less, but also I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I, I'm, yes, exactly. Like I, I'm in a lot of pain right now and I need to tend to myself. Yes. Yes. So it's like a signal that the body needs tending to. It's not that you made this choice to get to that point. And it's really, as I always say, the body speaks to us. And if we ignore it, it gets louder and louder and louder until you're sort of forced to listen in some capacity. So um, I love... I love somatic practices, which really take us into the body. And we haven't talked about this on the show. So when you say somatic therapy, what do you mean? Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. So my experience with somatic therapy has been, um, to your point that coming back into the body. So that can be anything from, you know, my husband asks me like, like, what is it like? And how is it going? I'm like, it is so uncomfortable. It is like easily one of the most uncomfortable kinds of therapy I've been in. And I've been in therapy since I was 17 years old, mainly talk therapy. Uh, but exactly like you just said, Erin, the biggest takeaway I had was like, oh, I can't talk over my body. So I have to sit in it. And that sucks sometimes. Um, and this is from someone who just wrote a, a book about sitting in your emotions, right? Like I know it logically, but to physically do it is a whole other thing. Um, so when I say somatic therapy, my experience has been I'll start to talk. And if my therapist can see I'm tearing up or my nervous system is reacting to something, she'll literally stop me. I'd be like, can we sit in this? And what are you noticing from the inside? Um, so sometimes it's like a tightness in the chest. Sometimes it's, um, you know, like chills, like I'll get like a shiver down my spine. Sometimes it's my throat feels tight, but basically getting a better understanding of where in my body does this emotion live? There's a lot of like, a lot of things we do where there's something called um, like the basic pose. So it's like putting, interlocking your fingers and putting your hands behind your head. And that already sig signals to your parasympathetic nervous system to kind of kick in. So already you're working with your body to, to regulate. And then looking all the way to the right and holding that for you know a few seconds, looking in the middle and then looking to the right. Um, and so there's you know it's something you definitely would want to work with someone on, but it, there's all these little things that when I can feel I'm, I'm dysregulated and I, and I need to come back into my body before I meet an emotion, there are these physical things that actually work with our brain and our nervous system to come back home and to calm. Yes. Yeah. I do a lot of this work in my coaching sessions of helping people identify the feelings in their body and to just sit with them. Because what we tend to do is wow, this is uncomfortable. Let me grab my phone and go on social media. Um, a lot of the women who I work with are struggling with binge eating and uh, feeling out of control around food. So we reach for food. We do anything we can to avoid actually feeling the feelings. We drink, whatever it is. There's so much power in learning to sit with what is there and understanding that all feelings are impermanent. So it will, like a wave, most likely get stronger as we we zoom in and notice it, but it will always come crashing down and dissipate. Or we say, you know, you, you begin to metabolize these emotions. It doesn't mean it won't ever come back again, but it's not existing in the body 
in a way that's almost like we're stuffing it down, stuffing it down, stuffing it down until it explodes, we're able to actually work through it. So I know for me, this was so healing in regards to my eating disorder. Sometimes with anxiety, it's helpful, but there's a bit of a balance with like when you're in a state of rage or high anxiety, uh, sometimes it can be too challenging to sit with the emotion and we, we've got to get out into nature and, and do some breath work first to kind of level things out before we, um, before we sit into the body. So I'm so glad that you brought all of that up and thank you for sharing so personally what you're exploring yourself as a mother. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Of course it's, um, it's such a process and it's something that I think about often when it comes to, again, like that lack of support that mothers have or this this idea of what we have to be. And I think it is a place where we often lose ourselves because we're like, well, I have to be this and I have to be that. And then we kind of come up for air and we're like, who am I again? Like, you know, not even just because I don't have the time or the space to do some of the things I used to do, but it's like this it, to your point, it's like we. I have to stuff down my emotions so that I can either tend to my my child or my partner. You know, anticipate what my partner needs, or all these ways that we lose ourselves, and then we wonder why. Exactly like you said, we we either explode or we deflate, and we but we're just we're completely lost of ourselves and what we actually need in that moment. So I love that. I love the metabolizing. That is exactly That's what it feels like, right? That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I really it's love like that language. It's just slowly dissolving or being broken down. So yep. you've written an entire book. Well, it's a journal. It's beautiful. It's called Dwell. And tell us a little bit about this book. Yeah. So Dwell is, it is broken into five sections. There's a little bit in the beginning about some of the science, a little bit about my own experience. Um, and again, really how important this work is, uh, why it's such a worthy endeavor, even though it can feel like so much sometimes, right? Like sometimes it's just like to that point that I said earlier, it's almost like, I think as an adult, um, we can sometimes be like, well, I just don't have time for this, but it's like, it's so important to make the time for it. Um, And so there's a little bit about that. And then I go into the five sections um, every section is a different theme of emotion. So there's prickly, there's full-bodied, transcendent, groovy, uh, but they all fall into these these different buckets. And then it's I write a collection of essays. So my means of going through this process is to personify them. And the reason I do that is because I noticed as a kid, it's kind of just where my mind went anyway. I would make up, you know, to your point, I'd go out in nature when I needed to regulate. And then I'd kind of make up these worlds out there. And when I can turn my emotions into people, there is that sense of distancing myself, which you're so right. When we're in a really heightened space, we cannot process. Our brains literally cannot turn on in that respect. So for me, it helps me to kind of get into an uh, imagination. Yeah, like my imagination. And they're not part of me. Like they are, but I, they are not me. Sorry to interrupt, but before you keep going for anybody who's like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about naming the emotions, naming your emotions and personifying your emotions. So this journal is all about helping you start to almost befriend the different characters 
of emotion that you may experience as a human. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. So you've got the five different categories. And when you talk about the work, like doing this work, are you talking about like all therapy and self-reflective work in general or doing this work of naming the emotions? Yeah. So naming, so it's more of naming these emotions. So I'll go, I'll get even a little more granular. So I go through a process and so do do the readers in the journal sections. So at the end of each category, there are journal prompts that you go through and they're broken down by greeting the emotion, sitting with the emotion, conversing with the emotion, and then saying goodbye. And exactly like you just said, the greeting part is the naming. So that's where you'd be like, oh, okay, you, you know, hi, your anger, that feels like this in my body. Um, And you kind of lean in more to your imagination into what would this emotion be if it were a person? What would it smell like? What would their world look like? How would they talk to me? What would their fears be or their hopes? You know, what do they share? What do I need to know from them? And in that respect, um, you tend to have a little bit more compassion for them, right? Because we beat ourselves up more than we do the people around us. And so when you can see your emotion as someone in your community or a neighbor or a friend, it's enough of a distance um, to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to judge. I'm not going to judge this as much. I'm not going to make this mean something about myself. Uh, And so, yeah, so then the journal prompts take you through those four steps and you get to personify your own emotions, um, however you see fit, however they come to you. I love this. Okay. So everybody who's listening right now, you can either just push pause or we'll walk through this right now, but just taking a moment to tune in and notice what emotion is at your door this this morning. What showed up at the door? And, and just giving yourself a second to really be honest with that. Joy, sadness, is fatigue uh, an emotion? <laughs> Exhaustion. Sure. Exhaustion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe you felt creative, inspired, whatever it is. So would you then, you've probably given some um, personification to these emotions, but I suppose people could also just imagine what this this neighbor looks like um, themselves. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, So some of the prompts, I actually have it in front of me. So if you look at the first naming, that's where you would really sit and see how it feels in your body. Um, so like I said, it's things like you feel, you know, hello, you name your emotion and then you say things like you feel like this, you taste like this, you smell like this. You're getting into your senses because again, that's regulating. You're getting back into your body. Um, so we also look in the section at who the emotion is as a messenger. So things like you teach me this or you show me this. Um, And one of the prompts that I really love from this is you need this to feel seen and heard. So again, acknowledging what the emotion needs as though it were a person and and how um, really that's a reflection on you and what you need. Mm, I love that. I also, for some reason, something that's coming up to me is when I notice the emotion, almost imagining a younger version of myself experiencing that emotion. So like if sadness was to be there, it's like imagining that little Aaron who's feeling sad or 
if rage came up, it's like that little version who's would be about the same age as my daughter is now, who Brooklyn definitely has her moments of rage, um, raging and, and, uh, feeling so angry. And for whatever reason, I can find so much more compassion for that younger version of myself than I ever could for the adult version, although I'm working on that. So I think that could also be, there's an opportunity perhaps there when an emotion's showing up to think about it as a younger version of yourself. And how would you tend to that younger person who was feeling that emotion? Yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such a good point too, because oftentimes I think it is that younger part of us that is yearning to be heard exactly to your point of like the rage my therapist says that often like when I do talk about it she'll say it sounds like a younger part and and it's really hard for a lot of reasons I think but it's also really hard because like we've muted that part we we not only grew up from that part but we we've kind of muted it from conditioning or from, you know, whatever we were, the stories we received about that emotion. Um, so I feel like it's even more important to talk, to talk to that little version of you because there's probably so much that she didn't get to say or didn't get heard. Right. Yes. That's a, that's a really beautiful point. So what would you do now with your daughter or with yourself in a moment of anger or rage or, or emotion that's not necessarily considered okay for us as human beings? Like, how do you navigate that with all this work that you've done? I feel like you probably have some great tips and tools for us. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, first and foremost, it's like an, an ongoing process, right? Like, I, I always have to remind myself there are going to be days I rock at it and there are going to be days that I don't. And ultimately, I become more aware of what emotions or things keep me from getting back in the game. And so if like I start to feel shame, I'm well aware that that's not an emotion I can spend a whole lot of time in because it's just not conducive to moving forward and to being who I really want to be. So it's there. I can acknowledge it. I can give myself compassion because ultimately that's what that emotion tells me I need. But um, I need to get back in the game because my son needs that. And so do I number one would be like handling it with so much compassion because this work is really gnarly. And number two is for me, it's a lot of, so my son, uh, my son is his uh, name is Kit and sounds like Brooklyn. And uh, like most toddlers were like, yeah, he rages. He's got these really big emotions. Right. Um, I always acknowledge that. So if he hits say when he's mad, I always try to acknowledge like you can't hit and I say it with with assertiveness, but not, you know, I stay as grounded as I can. You can't hit, but you can feel mad. So it's okay to feel mad. What do you need to channel that out? Now he's three and a half, so he doesn't always <laughs> understand that, right? But that's okay. I think it's more of that message of your emotions are not inconvenient and there's nothing wrong with you. It's more of how can we learn to channel them so that they work with you and with other people. Um, and for him, it, a lot of that is breath work. So, uh, I actually started doing Qigong, which is like breath work with movements, um, at therapy and they're, they're just fun and powerful, right? Like movements with breath is really powerful. And so I brought that to him 
And even at three and a half, he started. I mean, there, there was a time last week where I went in and he was dysregulated, mad. And uh, I thought he was coming in. He, he was like starting to come down. And I thought he was coming in to give a hug. And he just got close and took mm. a deep breath. And I was like, wow. He's doing it. That's incredible. Yeah. Like if, if we just give them the tools, yeah. they feel it in their own bodies. They know where to go. It's just a matter of, of having access to it. It's incredible how intuitive these kids are. And as you said, it's all about giving them the tools. I know for both Brooklyn and James, they've got these great classes that are happening at school that are teaching them about the different emotions. And last week, Brooklyn came home and was like, if you feel a big emotion, you put your hand on your tummy and you name it, and then you take a deep breath. And I was like, Think, like this was never taught when we were in school and it's so powerful no. and she's doing it. You know, she's saying like, I'm feeling angry and it's like, okay, that's totally fair. You're allowed to feel angry and I, w- I would feel frustrated too, but we're all, we're not allowed to hit. We can set the boundaries around it. Um, and I remember with my son who tends to, with his emotions, move into that more frenetic energy where maybe a little bit more out of body we would give him a blank piece of paper and he knew he had the pens and he could pick a color and he could draw out whatever he needed to. And I'll never forget one day I'm running in so angry at whatever and grabbing his paper and just ripping it to shreds. And I was like, well, this is rather scary, (laughs) but also I guess this is good, a good way of him expressing it. And he found his tool. And so here we go. Yeah. Right. You know, and we need that as adults too. We are just learning these tools now as adults. It, right. Exactly. I also loved your point. He found his tool, right? Like that's what I really love about this work. And I say it a lot in both books, um, in the in the cookbook as well, but nothing, none of this should be dogmatic. Like I think, you know, from my time spent in the wellness world, uh, there, there has been a point where I've stepped back because I'm like this, it gets really polarizing and it gets very um, like guru focused where it's like, well, this person knows and has the answers and I'm going to listen to them and that will be it. And don't get me wrong. There are, I have many mentors in the space that I love and my favorite mentors are the ones that remind you like this is already inside of you. These are just tools. This is just here to remind you and to and not even remind you, but uh, give you perspective of what other things you might have access to that you didn't um, or really just reflect on what it is you need and allow that to be enough. It doesn't have to be the same thing, you know, as the person next to you. It doesn't have to be deep breathing. It can be tearing a paper to shreds. That is just as valued and valuable. Yes. It can be moving your body. It can be taking a nap. It can be reading a a fiction book that lets you escape and regulate for a moment. Um, the, there are, there are so many tools and, uh, it really is about understanding yourself and which ones work for you in this season of life. You don't need a $10,000 cold plunge pool and 17 skin step <laughs> skincare thing. And that's all great. Like yep. those things are nice to have, but they're, yeah. it's not that totally. complicated. And it's, well, it is. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, I was going to say it's, well, it's, it's complex. complex. Yeah. And but it's, it's so complex. But it's, the tools yeah, are but within. It doesn't have to be. The tools are within. Exactly. And as long as you have your breath yeah. and uh, a moment of pause often to just reflect, that's yep. that's where you start from. Oh. Yeah. And I think it's that, it's that moment of pause 
is honestly to me, it's like, what is the hardest? Um, you know, the section in my book of, you know, the last step is saying goodbye and on other podcasts or just in conversations with my friends, I do think that that tends to be one of the hardest steps, uh, aside from sitting, especially for big feeling people, because it feels good to feel that's who we are. I mean, I think that's the case for most humans, right? It's what gives us, my therapist says it all the time. She's like, you have more capacity to hold rage, grief, you know, some of these harder to hold emotions. It also gives you more capacity to hold joy. And it's very, very true. They work in tandem, um, which is why I try not to label them as negative and positive. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to say goodbye to certain emotions. And I think I'm learning more of, it is that pause. It's that pause that then lets you ask the question, which you said before is, what do I need to get back into my body? So whether that is a walk or music or a cry or a call to a friend, it looks different for everyone. But I, I agree. It's like, I think we search outside ourselves because that pause is just so damn hard mm, sometimes. You can do it though, for everyone who's listening. You can take that pause oh. and there's so much power in it. And what, like when you're saying take a pause for you, what does that look like? Is it naming the emotion? Is it taking a breath? Is it, yeah. where would you start? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And, and it's so true. My therapist always says like, and it's so true that stillness is within you. Like there's, you can access it at any point. For me, what helps me to access it is uh, sitting in nature. Usually nature is my go-to, is my biggest regulator. Um, and the reason it regulates me is because I can tap into my senses. Um, and when I tap into my senses, I feel very present. And when I feel present, I feel interconnected. So for me, a pause is feeling connected to something other than myself. Um, and, and nature does that for me. But so does dancing and music and anything, again, that kind of gets me back into my mm, senses. I love that. I think for me, one of the, the things that has been most helpful in learning to pause is just uh, naming what is in the present moment. So noticing, you know, my daughter's little teeny tiny fingers and the color on the paper that she's drawing on, the smell in our home, the light coming in um, through the window, the, the little dust bits that are floating in that light, like really, especially as an anxious person, grounding down into the present moment. And within that present moment, sometimes there's really uncomfortable feelings. And that's where I love this practice that you've created of just naming it. Oh, I feel sad. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. Or maybe you don't even know the emotion, but I feel tightness in my chest. My throat is tightening up. And when we sit with that feeling and just name it, you know, is there a color there? Is there a texture then sometimes it brings us closer to the emotion. And with that, most of the time, what I've learned is that it actually will start to break apart and it will start to lessen and the feeling will move through you. Uh, but it takes a lot of courage and bravery to just sit, to just sit with that. To just oh. sit. Yeah, it really does. I could not agree more. Um, I'm also curious, you know, when you talk about the noticing like the specks of dust or the 
color paper and on your daughter's nails and stuff. Um, do you notice that like when you, when you think back the memories you have on those moments, do you, do you remember them better? Do you have like a heightened memory of those of like certain times because you were present in that moment? You know what? This is a tough question for me because I have the worst memory of all time. (laughs) I do too. And I sometimes wonder if being more present in each moment, I spend, my mind spends less, a lot less time in the past. I'm very much more focused on dreaming about the future and planning for the future and then aiming to be more present in the present moment. So Um, I don't even have tons of memories from childhood. And I think this work that I've been doing has, has been for the last decade or so with mindfulness. So it's less about being able to hold on to the memory for me and more about just actually being in my life, actually being in my life. I love that. Do you feel like the past, like letting go of the past helps with anxiety in particular? Yes. And letting go of the future as well, to some extent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I definitely used to think that being and planning as much as I could and having my goals and having a clear plan into how I was going to reach those goals, that that would quell the anxiety. But for me, that actually just further perpetuates it. I do have to do that. And if you look at my wall, I have my intentions and everything, but I do it in a pocket of time. And rather than allowing that type of thinking to just spill into every moment of my life, it's like, okay, today is going to be a planning day. And this is the time when I build out my calendar and I look at my goals and I work towards them, of course. But then like right now with you, I'm not thinking about what's coming. I'm just here in this conversation. I mean, and it is such a work in progress because the mind is constantly wanting to pull us forwards and backwards and anywhere else other than here. So it's a practice. Yeah. What do you find? What do you find with your depression? I find, so with my depression, that's a really great one. I find with my anxiety, to your point, the surrender, definitely. Like I I actually, when I'm on, I don't get a ton of fear of flying, but when I do, like I listen to surrender meditations and they really help because you're on a plane, like there's very little control (laughs) and that surrender. Yeah. I really, I love that idea of, of the presence kind of being a balm for anxiety for depression. I think gratitude's a big one for me. So when I'm, when I'm in states of depression, first of all, I need to be there sometimes. Like there's this quote in the book, I can't remember it exactly, but it's by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who writes Women Who Run With The Wolves. And she talks about how part of healing from trauma is um, indulging in it, honestly, to an extent, sitting to your point in the pain. But at some point, all pain or, or wounds, you know, have to be sutured. And so I think for me, it's like being really clear and it, it comes with mindfulness because that, that is what it asks you to do. If you're in your body, you can feel when you've stayed past due. So I, I usually tend to kind of just be very introspective with depression and being like, okay, I've, have I felt it through? Have I sat in it long enough? Am I good there? And now what do I need? And a lot of times it is gratitude. I need a perspective shift. I need to physically be with the things that bring me joy whether that's to your point, my, my son, um, or that's a walk outside or, um, really good food, just getting back into those areas of my life that make me me and that bring me the utmost amount of joy. Beautiful. 
Devin, if you could write a note to every woman in the world, it was going to land in their inbox tomorrow and men. Um, and it was going to be your last final message. What would you say? God, what a, what a great journal prompt. <laughs> it's a tricky one. Like I might, I might need to do this. First thing that comes to mind. Yeah. I think it would just be to be yourself. Like I think often I actually uh, just wrapped up an end of life training and I'm going to be volunteering at hospice this summer. And it's something I think about in that respect, right. Of like, what, what is the last thing I want people to know? Or like, what is it? What is the legacy of my life? Um, what's the point? And I think it is just be you, be you to the fullest extent that you can be an unencumbered free version of yourself and live your life that way because it is such a beautiful heartbreaking thing to do be a human but what a ride I mean how lucky we are to have a body that we won't always have Mm. I love that I honestly sometimes think that's the purpose of life is to just I think so allow ourselves to be ourselves. It sounds so simple, but it's not. It's not. It's not. And it's, not. Um, and it, it's a journey. I know, you know, if anyone's listening right now and it's like, I have no idea how to figure out who I am or where I'm going. Think back to childhood. First of all, it's okay if you don't know. I think we've all been there and all felt disconnected from ourselves. But think back to childhood and the things that you really enjoyed that lit you up. What are the things that come easy to you that may not be as easy to others? Uh, What are, if you had an hour to yourself and you could do anything that you wanted, what would you spend your time doing? You know, what are, what's on your Pinterest board the most? And all of these things are just little guiding lights that help direct us home to ourselves and uh, and I think it's a lifelong process. I think so too. I think it's a lifelong process. I don't think there's like a landing zone where we're like, oh, here I am, figured myself out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And I, I actually think that is exactly to your point. That's the, that is the point of life. Like we're, we're always evolving. We are always evolving. There is no version of us. You know, the version of us yesterday is going to be different than the version of us today. The version of me in an hour is going to be different. And that is beautiful. So how do we, exactly like you said, how do we just keep coming back to ourselves? And, and how do we honor and not get stuck in those areas of like, well, but that's not me. It's like, well, maybe that is you now. And that's great. And how do, we, how do we keep honoring that? Beautiful. Take what resonated with you today in this conversation. I will, of course, link to both of Devin's books, The Cookbook and Dwell the Journal with guided prompts. Devin, where else can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram at underscore Devin Loftus. And then I'm going to be, you can always find me in my newsletters. Uh, They're going to be evolving quite a bit, actually, because as we just said, you're evolving. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you can definitely find me there too. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Mike, thank you. This was such an amazing conversation. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. 
So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.